0: sermon so y'all help me preach it tonight help me pray into this okay so lord as we agree together tonight over this sermon we're looking through the book of revelation and we took a, a very small little break to deal with things that have to do with the deep consecration of the bride and so lord i ask you that you would speak through me tonight everything that needs to be covered lord i ask you that everything that needs to be spoken will be said under an anointing as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, let your Holy Spirit move, Lord, upon every person that's going to be hearing this to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, and that everything will be locked in and in tune with you right now. As you speak through me, everything that needs to be spoken into good soil, that the Holy Spirit prepare us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, and let this living seeds of truth be sown into that good soil. Water by the holy spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes let there be a washing of the water of the word let there be a power in this Lord, to change lives because the power of the word of god and the bible says your word will not return void but accomplish that which you sent for to do so we stand on that promise tonight and though we agree together we submit this unto you we resist the devil and the enemy tries to steal the seed so Lord, we agree as a church we bind in the name of jesus anything they would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do we command to be bound and release that now back off and go from the word of god you will not hinder it in any way we bind it in jesus name and lord we thank you for your angels just clearing away any hindrance so they, this can just freely go forth and accomplish what it's supposed to we thank you for it lord we thank you for hearing answering our prayers we believe as to agree on earth is touching anything. It's done. We expect it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm dealing tonight with part 13 in the book of Revelation. And next week, we're going to cover the trumpet judgments. So we're going to be looking at some very interesting times as we move into the tribulation. So if you want to read Revelation chapters 8 um, I think that's—I I don't have it in front of me. I apologize, but yeah, I think it's seven and eight that we need to cover. But anyway, we're going to look at the trumpets. So I'll send you guys the information on what to read, but be ready next week. So it's the seven trumpet judgments that we'll look at in the first part of the tribulation. But tonight, I've taken kind of a break to cover that this scripture, Revelation 19:7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. So that's what we're doing. That's you know Tonight we have, a couple times a year, a time of prayer and fasting as a church. And this time I felt to do 14 days, but we're just fasting and praying and believing God to show us anything that He needs to do in us. Is there anybody we need to forgive, any sin to confess, any, anything that needs to change in us individually? And at the end of that, we come together and we take communion together in a special way, which we did before this sermon. And man, what a powerful, you just feel the presence of God is so anointed. And then at the end of this, we'll anoint everybody with oil and pray over you. And my wife and I'll take some time with that. We're going to believe, and based on this sermon tonight, you'll see where I'm coming from. We're going to believe that as we anoint you with oil and pray over you, that God's going to consecrate you, but empower you. And then we have water immersion for those that want to come out. Usually most people do, just to deeply consecrate our lives unto God, to go deeper. And in that water, I have seen miracles happen. I've seen people be healed. I've seen people be delivered to things. It's been very powerful. All right, so here's a few scriptures. I'm just going to dive into this tonight. We dealt first with water immersion. Then last week, we dealt with the communion table. So tonight we're dealing with the anointing with oil. Now I grew up around Pentecost, so anointing people with oil was not uncommon. You know, that was not something uncommon at all. But how many of you guys, before River of Life, you were part of a church that never anointed with oil and prayed for the sick, and you never really were around it before? How many are here? So most most people probably most people watching and it's a shame because I want you to look this up for yourself I don't have it in my notes, but jesus sent out disciples to minister And the bible says and I believe it's in mark that they some of them took anointing oil with them And as they went out they prayed and they anointed people doing and pray for the sick And it said that that as they anointed them and prayed over them that many sick were healed and demons left people And also we know from the book of James in chapter 5, it says if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and the elders to take the anointing oil and anoint them and pray over them. It says the prayer of faith will release healing to the sick. And we've, I've seen a lot of people heal when we anointed them with oil and prayed over them. There's more to it than just that. Sometimes there's blockages to healing that need to be dealt with. And so you got to clear that away. But still, healing seems to be connected with the anointing with oil. Now, here's the thing. When you go back and look at this, in 1 John 5 7, which is in your notes, it says, These three testify the Spirit, which is represented in the oil, and the water and the blood. So the Spirit, the water, the blood. Y'all see that? The oil, the water, the blood. Those three, it says they're in agreement where do we see that from remember to Exodus 29 I've mentioned it the last couple sermons when Moses was going to consecrate Aaron and his sons as what priests he had to take the blood the blood had to be shed the blood had to be applied to them how many knows you got to apply the blood by faith but you've got to apply the blood to your life and Moses, he, you know, there was a process where he sprinkled some of it on their garments, but he took some blood and he anointed their ear, the right earlobe with the blood. And then the right thumb, which speaks of your thought life, the works of your hands, and then the right big toe, your walk. But he put the blood on them. And then the second thing, well, before that, he water immersed them. So there was a consecration through water immersion. Then the blood was applied. Then he anointed them with oil. And those three things consecrated Aaron and his sons as priests, And that was so significant because everybody else in Israel that came to bring their offerings to the Lord, they had to stay in that outer court area. They could bring their offerings, especially a peace offering, they could bring their family with them. And they brought enough with them that it was cooked there on the bronze altar. And the priest that officiated would eat with the family and they would just worship and eat in the presence of God. But that's as close as they could come. But Aaron and his sons were able to go past that first veil, and they were able to go into the holy place. There was the table of showbread, the menorah, and they could go up every day, every morning, every evening, and they would burn that incense there right before that veil. And I mean that veil, the ark was just right there. So they were literally standing right before the ark. They could draw close. So my point in that is this. There's a pattern. If we will really deeply consecrate our lives as priests unto God, there's a realm of going deeper in the glory because of that consecration. Do you see what I'm saying? And so these three in agreement the Spirit, the Water, the Blood. Tonight we're dealing with the Spirit. And then in Peter, 1 Peter 2.5 says this. Now listen, it's this amazing scripture. It says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for, for a holy priesthood. Now let's just stop there for a moment. We all know that wherever we go, that it becomes like a, a tabernacle or a temple. And what Peter's saying here is that each one of us are like living stones. And wherever we go, we could go from here to a different location. But when we come together, we're all like living stones that come together and create like a temple for God's glory to come into our midst. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what he's saying here. We come together as living stones, building a house for God to come dwell. And he says that we are a holy priesthood, and that meant something to Peter. Now, a lot of people, when I say Think of a priest. It depends on where you're from. People from the Middle East, you know, different parts of the world. If I was to say that in Asian countries, they may think of a Buddhist priest. If I was to say that in parts of the Middle East, like uh, you know, with the Hindus, they're going to think of some Sheikh. If I say that in certain parts of the world, what do they think of? They're going to think of maybe like a Catholic priest or a um, Eastern Orthodox. And so the mindset. They see that person, then they see the way that they dress. But you have to understand, you have to go back to what the Bible says a priest is. And i got to make it really quick. But Aaron and his sons were priests unto God, and nobody else was at that time. And Aaron and his sons had a layer of white. They had like white pajama bottoms on the bottom part. They had a robe of righteousness, a white robe, and they had a white turban on their head. And that represented the garments of salvation and righteousness. How I many knows when we accepted Christ, there is a garments of salvation. They're, they were clothed in righteousness. But there was also a blue tunic that went over them. It went over the whites. It went down below the knees a little bit. And on this blue tunic, it had bells and pomegranates attached to it in a reinforced neck area that was really thick because in the culture there if something happened to really upset you that culture would just grab for the neck area and rip their garments as a part of mourning and and it you couldn't do that with these garments they were holy and they were never to be torn like that and this blue tunic represents something so beautiful blue always speaks in the bible of from heaven coming down out of the blue sky from heaven And what this is, is a clothing of God's power. This blue represents the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? And how the bells, now the gifts, specifically I think of tongues, but the gifts are now in operation. The fruit of the Spirit should be becoming more evident. And there's this clothing of power, but you don't rip that garment. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't do anything that would hurt your relationship with the holy spirit you got to cherish that moving of the holy spirit that power of god in your life you got to protect it and so aaron and his sons had white then they had a layer of blue and then on top of the blue there was a, a final layer of gold it was called the golden ephod it was like a vest that went down to their waist it was like a beautiful golden vest that had different colors in it like uh blue and, and red etc interwoven in it but it was a vest and what was interesting about this golden vest was that it had breasts it had these um, shoulder pieces and from the shoulder pieces there was chains that came down and it it set kind of like a necklace would it set this breastplate on their chest that had 12 stones on it Representing the 12 tribes that was right over their heart because it was their responsibility To keep God's people on their heart to continually pray for them And this golden ephod represents something so powerful it represents the glory So symbolically speaking the white is like the outer court the blue is like the holy place And the gold is like the Holy of Holies where the glory dwells. So that gold speaks of the glory. And as priests, we're supposed to be walking in righteousness, but in power. And carrying the glory of God's presence. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with. So you have this tabernacle. You have a priesthood. The priest could go into the holy place every day. Once a year, they could even go into the Holy of Holies you know what's interesting about that a side note that the only thing worn into the holy of holies on the day of atonement was just the white layers you know what that was about humbling yourself all those beautiful garments were to be removed because you were going into the presence of god and you came very humbly before him and the only thing that mattered was the righteousness of god at that time so i'm saying that there righteous they're in right standing i thought that was really powerful but anyway so you have the living stones that we're a holy priesthood and we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices i'm gonna make this really quick because i need to get beyond this but we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to god see when you when you talk about that offering up sacrifices people from all over the world different cultures think of different things if They're from an Asian country. They think of certain type of things that the Buddhist culture would do if they're from different parts of India in the Middle East in different parts of the world They think about different types of sacrifices at pagan temples, etc But God gave us the pattern And we know that in Christ the sin and the guilt offering both of those were fulfilled and so now for us to offer up an acceptable sacrifice of a sin offering we do not look at the blood of an animal for forgiveness of sin anymore amen we look to his blood so the first fulfillment of that is that if we sin we have an advocate with the father that he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness if we confess it so the first sacrifice is the sin and guilt offering that we confess our sin humbly before him and repent that's the first fulfillment that's the first sacrifice but the other three are significant i'm gonna say them real quick there was a burnt offering an animal would be brought the priest would kill the animal remove the hide and the priesthood kept the skins and they actually it was you know made the priesthood quite wealthy because they could sell them but anyway They would take that animal, cut it into five pieces. There were certain ways to do that. And they would put it on the bronze altar. And the entire animal was left there and completely consumed with fire. Burned completely. You know how that's fulfilled now for us? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that God wants us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him. You know what that means? We lay down our complete life on the altar, holding nothing back. And the skin being removed. That we're going to die to that old flesh. And we're going to lay down our bodies. And let the Lord's fire come in. And burn out every trace of sin. Remember that song we sing. Send the fire. It says that God would burn up every trace of sin. And we lay down our life on the altar. Let God's fire come and cleanse us. And be living sacrifices. So that the first one is to confess our sin. The second is to lay down our lives. To be holy. The third is is called the micha and that is the grain offering and so they would go out and and bring in sheaves etc and bring in grain they would bring in like a unleavened bread and um also there would be frankincense put on it etc oil put on it but it was unleavened bread like the matzah they bring that in and they would put that there on the altar you know what that represents the bible talks about jesus looked out there at sheep and he had compassion he said they're like sheep without a shepherd he said the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few and that the harvest is ripe but it but the labors are few you know what that represents that we go out into the harvest field and we're bringing in the sheaves we're bringing in the grain and so as we lay down our lives now the works of our hands Another acceptable sacrifice to God is that we're willing to get out there and win souls and do what God's called us to do. That's what Jesus said, he said go into all the world, make disciples. Then the third is called the shelemim which was the peace offering. The peace offering, a family could bring quite a few animals and bread, etc., and the priest would be responsible for the the killing and the the way that the animal was cooked and And the bread and all that would be cooked there. And that family with the priesthood, they would eat in the presence of God and just worship and pray. You know what that represents? The peace offering. It can also be translated fellowship offering. It represents our prayer lives. That we spend time with the Lord. So these are the acceptable offerings unto God. That we confess our sin we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice a burnt offering that we're willing to get out there and labor for him in the harvest field and that we spend time every day with him in prayer and worship isn't that awesome but that's the priesthood and it says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession and peter understood that because in hebrew that phrase and it, rep- it meant like a treasured possession of God. treasure possession. And that's the way God viewed the nation of Israel up until this point. And then, you know, it gets complicated, but God's people, both Jew and Gentile in Christ, that we are a treasure possession unto God. It said that you might declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into wonderful light. So let me start bringing this home real quick. So the priesthood of the believer... Mainly what I'm trying to get through to you guys is that you are priest unto God. The pattern is there. We need to understand the pattern. God wants us clothed in righteousness, power, and glory. He wants us to come together and build him a house for his glory to dwell. He wants us to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing unto him. And when we understand it from a New Testament perspective, fulfilled in Christ is a beautiful thing. But part of the priesthood is this, that we have to be deeply consecrated unto God because the priest had to be different than the other people. They were the ones that were really deeply consecrated and the blood applied and they, they had that anointing on them that nobody else had. And they were able to go deeper into God's glory. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an outer court believer. You know, I've always looked at it like this. It's just the way I see it. But the outer court of the tabernacle was quite large. And I think it represents the bronze altars, the cross, the lavers, water immersion. And in most of Christianity, they accept Christ and are water immersed, and they just hang out in that outer court forever. They see the natural sunlight. They see everything just through natural eyes. They, they never get deeper than just a salvation experience, that's it. But getting inside the tent is going past that first veil. You know what, to me that represents the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That clothing of the blue. That baptism in the Holy Spirit, now there's tongues. You begin to move into a realm of having power in your life. You begin to move into a realm of operating in the gifts and the supernatural. It's getting past just a salvation experience and going deeper. And once you move past that veil, the outer court was a certain way, but now when you get inside that holy place, it's beautiful. Things are gold, the, you know, the cherubim are in the interwoven into the what you see. You had the table of showbread, you had the menorah, you had the the fragrant incense, it's beautiful there. But it's getting into that realm of the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit. But still, there's a lot of people that get baptized in the Holy Spirit and hang out kind of in that Spirit-filled area, but they never go deeper than that. And I saw that. I saw during the 90s revivals how God was bringing such a deep glory, such a deep revival, and I saw Pentecostal spirit-filled people didn't want anything to do with it. It's like their experience that they had had was enough for them; they weren't hungry for more. And that probably surprises some of you, but that happened a lot. But see, there's a second veil in Hebrews called the parchet. That's the veil that separated you from the holy of holies, from the ark. But Jesus died to pay for that thing to be cleared. But many people still hang out here. They speak in tongues, and all that's important. I'm going to talk about that, but there's a deeper... You know what the deeper realm is? It's not just being clothed with power, but now it's moving into the glory of God, the deep place of his glory. And that's what is unique to what you guys have experienced. You're not just experiencing power, you're experiencing as we worship and as we pray for you in the altar, you're experiencing God's thick glory. That's why sometimes there's such a heavy presence of the glory. And some people told me down through the years many times, I've heard that they couldn't get up easily because there was the weight of the glory on them. You know, there's one precious lady so sweet. She had come and I had no idea because I I'd just go to and pray for everybody that wants prayer. And I remember she was right over there, and I remember praying for her, and I didn't know this, but she came from a Baptist background, so everything was pretty new to her, but she was good friends with a lady who was spirit-filled. And so, you know, because of their friendship, she was pretty open to whatever God wanted to do. And I remember just praying with her, and I remember that she began to kind of sway like this, and she she went out hard, and, and she was not expecting anything, right? And I didn't know any of this, and I just go on praying for everybody else, and I noticed that people are gradually kind of getting up, and And not paying a lot of attention to it but i do remember that she was still out well eventually she got up and came up here to me and she was all like never in my life have i experienced anything it was so beautiful and precious what god was doing but i was like well the lord loves you you know but what she told me was she said i couldn't get off the floor it was a wonderful thing but she said i couldn't get up and she said i've never felt this presence And here's the outworking of that. She told me when she went back home, she came back the next week and she told me, she said, I've never felt this close to Jesus in my life. She said, my prayer life and just the hunger for him, she's never felt that. So there was an experience there of going into the Holy of Holies. And we need that. We need to get beyond just a baptism in the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts. And we need to get into the deep place of God's glory. And that's what was moving in in the 90s. You had powerful ministries through Rodney Howard Brown and Benny Hinn. And what was breaking out in different places with Toronto and Brownsville, etc. And many other places. But there was a glory coming in. It was a holy of holies experience. So you guys being priest unto God. I want you to understand this is very important. I want you to understand. That you are priests therefore you do not have to have these traditions of men these pet doctrines like for example the anointing with oil a lot or taking communion people think well i have to go to church it has to be a pastor that administers communion to me or anoints me with oil you know they think that it has to be a certain way but all of that is man-made traditions there's no truth to that you are priest unto God. So you can take communion by yourself, on your own, at home, in a hotel room, whatever. That's between you and the Lord. Also, anointing with oil. You can anoint yourself, your family, your home. You do not have to have a pastor to do that. Water immersion, that can take place at home. It does not have to be at church. and a certain none of, none of what I just mentioned is some once-in-a-lifetime thing. You can take communion when you feel you need it, anointing with oil when you feel like you need it, water immersions available when you feel like you need it. None of it in the Bible is some once-in-a-lifetime thing. So remove all of the man-made traditions, the pet doctrines, and just have a heart to go after Christ with all your heart. Be hungry for Book of Acts Christianity. How many are hungry for more of the Lord? I want to go deeper in Him this year than I was last year. But there's got to be that hunger for more. And part of the hunger for more is, is as you're going deeper, God's going to begin to even more so purify his bride so that we can go deeper. It's a deep priestly cleansing that God does. Things will come up. You guys know how gold is refined in the fire. Gold is put in the fire, in the heat, and the impurities come to the top, and they skim it off. And then it's put back in the fire again and the impurities come up and they keep doing that till there's no impurities how many knows that we go from glory to glory but there is a process where God is purifying us and then he'll put us back in the fire again and purify us again but every time we yield to that and we're that deep priestly cleansing that that purification of the bride every time we yield to that process we go deeper in Christ, and we go deeper in his glory. So I'm going to read something to you, and then we're going to start last couple points I want to make. But I want to show you something. It's not in your notes. I just want you to hear what I'm saying. In Exodus chapter 40, <clears throat> and I'm only going to read what's important here to make this point. But Exodus 40, verse 1 The Lord spoke to Moses. They had finally built the tabernacle. You know, they had all the furnishings and everything done. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said on the first day of the first month, so that's two weeks before Passover, right there at Nisan 1, okay, to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So God told Moses to do it. Everything was made, but now, Moses, you're to go set it all up. He said, you're going to take the ark, of the testimony the ark of the covenant put it in the holy of holies you know put this the screen up the veil you'll bring the table and arrange the belongings on the table of showbread bring the lamps and the menorah and mount the lamps he said moreover set the golden altar that's the altar of incense before the veil he said you're going to set the altar in the outer court the burnt offering where the animals would be offered in the front of the doorway of the tabernacle the tent of meeting you shall set the laver in between the bronze altar and the tent there was that big copper bowl of water the laver that's where the priests washed their hands and feet he said you're going to set up the court all around the whole thing there was a white fence around the whole tabernacle which made up the outer court but this is what he said after you set all that up everything's been made now you're going to set it all up before me then look what god told moses to do he said then i want you to take the anointing oil he said, I want you to go in and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. And the anointing oil that was used would have had cinnamon, cassius, and calamus. So it was um, like very grainy, kind of dark, like cinnamon that was put in olive oil, okay? And so when you anointed something with that, it was going to leave a mark on it. But he said, you're going to take the oil and anoint the tabernacle, all that's in it, consecrate it, all of its furnishings, that it shall be holy unto me. Holy means set apart. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering, all of its utensils to consecrate the altar there. You shall anoint the laver in the stand and consecrate it. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway, of the tent of meeting. And this is, remember this, wash them with water, put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint them with oil. Consecrate them unto me, that they may minister unto me as priest. You'll bring his sons and put the tunics on them, anoint them. As you have anointed their father that they may minister to me as priest and their anointing will qualify them For a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded and then skip down to verse 34 listen to this after Moses did that He anointed he set up and anointed the whole tabernacle I would imagine that he went into the Holy of Holies anointed the ark Backed out anointed everything in the holy place backed out did the outer court. He brought Aaron and his sons did what he was supposed to do and anointed them after he was done anointing everything it says in verse 34 the cloud of God's glory the cloud covered the tent of meeting the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled it isn't that awesome so anointing a building as holy unto God and anointing God's people, has to do with the glory coming in. That's why we, you know, I keep anointing all over there, and a lot of people when they come in, this on their own anoint themselves. But you know, I anoint this place on a regular basis, and most altar times I carry oil with me and anoint most people. But I believe that's also reason why the glory is here. You see, it's a pattern. So the anointing with oil. Last couple things I want to cover is this: the anointing with oil speaks of being set apart what holy means is set apart so if i had a couple different things up here I, if i had two two different objects let's just use these all right well, this is my coffee cup well, that's holy right no, i'm just kidding so this is my coffee cup right <laughs> not holy at the moment and then this is what we use to take communion okay so watch me walk off in this thing we bless you but anyway if i had two cups up here both of them are just cups there's nothing special about them at all but you set apart one that is going to be used for holy purposes it's set apart unto god and so then because it is something that's holy you don't treat it flippantly you know you respect the fact that it's something set apart unto god and for example would be like this building you know there's a lot of buildings around us but this building is a church it's set apart unto god it's holy so therefore we've anointed it but i don't let just anything go on in here i don't want anything going on that would grieve the holy spirit why because this is holy ground you see so holy means set apart unto god number one number two the anointing speaks of an empowerment a clothing of power and empowerment to do what God's called you to do and the anointing seems to also have to do with going into the glory and the glory of God coming I've noticed as God's increased his anointing in my life that I find myself in a greater dimension of his glory presence it's interesting but the baptism in the Holy Spirit I know let me just give you a couple things I know that Your salvation experience, I know some people say it's like the leper anointing in the Old Covenant, which it is. But the salvation experience is being born again and washed in the blood. But really, what I want to focus on is the first anointing that really comes into your life is when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. We need that. The church world has gotten away from that, gotten away from the doctrine of it but we need the baptism what did matthew 311 what did john the baptist say there's coming one after me i'm not worthy to untie his sandals but he he said i baptize with water but he will baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire so there is a baptism in the holy ghost and as many can attest and in my own personal life once you accept the lord the next thing that really needs to happen other than water immersion is is that you need to be introduced to the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Because the baptism in the Holy Ghost is a clothing of power and it's going to provide a strengthening, it get that enables your prayer language and we need a prayer language, okay? It's the introduction to the supernatural realm of Christianity and to begin to operate in the gifts. The priestly anointing allows you to go into the glory. And I give something here in the notes about what Moses did with Aaron and his sons. I'm not going to go back over it. But that's something you can study on your own. Let me give you the last couple things and we're going to pray. The activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To anoint means to rub in. So the anointing. There an oil, but to anoint means to like rub in. And so I think about how the oil of the Holy Spirit is poured over us, but here's the thing. The Lord wants that oil of the Holy Spirit to rub all the way down into the deep places of us and change us. Not just empower us, but change who we are. As that blue tunic. There's the bells, that's the gifts, but there's also the fruit. He's wanting to change who we are so that we can be more loving, etc., and the fruit of the Spirit be more evident. The three, There's three basic baptisms. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it talks about being baptized into Christ. That's a salvation experience. The second we're all familiar with is water immersion. But the third is Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Ghost, you see. So there's salvation, water immersion, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Which I might add, some people would argue with this, and that's fine. I'm not worried about that. But there's nowhere in the Scripture, nowhere, That says the baptism in the Holy Ghost is only a one-time experience in your life. Nowhere. In fact, it seems to indicate that there's multiple times of being refilled and all that. So, anyway, I'm believing for a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost tonight. When we pray for you guys, okay? Um, Exodus 30, 22-25 talks about the oil that Moses used. I, I know in the video people probably can't see it. It had some... Kurt Landry's ministry and collaborate with a few others, and they kind of endorse this. But I don't know if you can see; it's kind of grainy. It's so small, you probably can't see it. But there's an oil that was used that had cinnamon in it, and cassia and calamus and myrrh. They have a total of five, four spices plus the oil, and it makes up the holy anointing oil. Also, when you anoint with oil, James 5:14, Mark 6:13 that makes way for healing and deliverance and here's the last couple things i want to i want you to really give me your best ear because this kind of saved the best for last here but how many knows the lord is coming for wise virgins with what extra oil that's interesting this is a good time to get extra oil in your life because the coming of the lord is near And so the last two things I wanted to talk about, and I really want you guys to remember this, is the benefits of speaking in tongues. I try to speak in, you know, to have praying in the Spirit every day. Most days I'm able to have time to really pray in the Spirit. But praying in the Spirit is very powerful and very important. And let me say something. Perry Stone's father ministered many years ago, very powerful ministry. And toward the latter part of his life, he told Perry, he prophetically said this. He said, Perry, I'm not going to live to see this, but you will. And he said, as you get close to the coming of the Lord and you get deep into the last days, which I believe we're in right now, he said, there's going to be at times such spiritual warfare that would be so heavy, so oppressive, so difficult He said that it would be very difficult to get out from under that. And he said, what you need to do if you go through that is you need to get alone and you need to really let the Holy Spirit pray through you in tongues until that lifts off you. He said, because the Holy Spirit will know how to pray. You won't really know how to get this thing dismantled around you to clear it, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray. And he'll pray through you what needs to be prayed to clear that. And I've experienced some pretty heavy oppressive things. And I remembered that. And praying in the Spirit does clear that. Because the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. So let me give you some benefits of speaking in tongues. I recommend that, that every day when you have a prayer life that you pray in the Spirit. Those that drive back and forth to work, that's a good time to pray in the Spirit and here's some benefits number one you utter mysteries how many of you guys want to understand things in the bible you never understood before you want to get revelation from god you've never had the bible says that you utter mysteries that is revelation coming to you in 1 corinthians 14 2 and let me tell you something if the devil battles anything He battles the anointing and he battles the power of the Holy Spirit he battles tongues even as I'm speaking this out there are demonic spirits especially among the religious that hate what I'm saying it's the demonic that hates it let me tell you why Jesus was called the Messiah or the Christ and it means the anointed one we are called to be anointed And operate in the gifts. And the Bible says also that the Holy Spirit will pray through you the perfect will of God. We don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through you. That's Romans 8.26. Did you know, another benefit, did you know in Ephesians 6, we all know the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, all that. There's six main parts of your armor, but did you know that there's actually a seventh? He said, after giving you the armor, he said, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. The seventh part of your armor was praying in tongues. Isn't that awesome? That's Ephesians 6, 18. So you're clothed with the armor, and then you have the gift of praying in tongues as the Holy Spirit prays through you. Again, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. There's times I was praying in the spirit. I've had so many different experiences with this, but there's been a few times I remember that there was some warfare that was obviously going on, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, there was a boldness, there was a loudness, and there was a there was something that was spoken in the Spirit, and then it went away. And I didn't even know. I mean, that was the Holy Spirit did that. But see, the Holy Spirit knows how to clear your enemies away. That's coming up against you. As you pray in the Spirit, It will sharpen your discernment. How many wants your discernment sharpened in these latter days? You want to know what's God and what's not because there's going to be some counterfeit things out there. But as you pray in the Spirit, it will sharpen your sensitivity. Did you know also another benefit is it builds up your most holy faith. How many of you guys sometimes have had where your faith Begin to sag a little bit because something took so long and it seems so difficult And maybe even the warfare against you had to do with against your faith And you feel like well, it's hard to believe right now for this Did you know you can the Holy Spirit can pray through you and as you pray in the Spirit It will actually build up and strengthen your inner faith within you. Isn't that awesome? That's jude 20 Another benefit is the enemy doesn't know what you're praying, so the Holy Spirit will pray through you and many times will actually circumvent and go around all these different things that the devil wants to throw in your path, but he's unable to because his Holy Spirit prayed through you, it directed your paths around every landmine. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Also you will stay here's another benefit you will stay in the perfect will of god because the holy spirit will pray through you over your life the perfect will of god so it will help keep you in the perfect will of god does that make sense that's romans eight twenty six, and also you'll be strengthened within The Bible talks about being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner man there's an inner strengthening that comes as you pray in the spirit how many guys have spent some time praying in the spirit and you felt different after you felt strengthened within I have another thing is James 3 8 there is a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit he will help to sanctify you especially if you used to have a foul mouth Start letting that mouth speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit will begin to sanctify that old tongue. Also, times of refreshing come. And true worship. The Bible says Jesus prophesied this. He said the time will come when true worshipers will worship in the spirit and truth. That's what you're hearing sometimes up here is people begin to get in deep worship And and tongues begin to come in worship. That's the Holy Spirit worshiping through somebody. Deep worship in the spirit. It's a beautiful thing. Deep calling unto deep. From your inner spirit. See, many people only keep worship just in their head and their emotions. But God wants our worship to go deeper than just your intellect and your emotions. He wants it to come up out of your belly, so to speak, out of your spirit. That's true worship. And I close with this scripture, 1 Peter 1, 2. Who have, been co- who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Look at this, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood, grace and peace be yours. But I want you to take notice what Peter said here. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. See, tonight as we anoint you with oil and pray over you. I'm believing God to... That there's going to be a deep Sanctifying work in your life That's going to begin That there's going to be a fresh baptism In the Holy Ghost and with fire A fresh empowerment to overcome But there is a Sanctifying work the Holy Spirit will do In us okay Let's go ahead I'm going to pray and let's close this out But Lord I thank you so much for your word tonight Lord we're going to anoint people with oil And that's Powerful But even more than that it speaks of the anointing of the holy spirit the baptism in the holy spirit the operation of the gifts of the holy spirit But lord tonight let there be a deep priestly cleansing let there be like a bride purified for the coming of the lord and an empowerment to overcome lord we thank you for it and we bless you let this time be sealed and i thank you for this word getting where it needs to and accomplishing what needs to in jesus name amen all right let me know when everything's shut down We're going to get into the time of prayer here. We're going to anoint everybody. So what I want to do is just go ahead and put on some worship. And we're going to have to move the chairs. And I want everybody just to begin to worship whenever you get settled, okay? And then we'll come in and anoint you in just a few moments.